It's the Last Stand Podcast. And here's your host, Brian Custer. That's right, Last Stand Podcast. I am Brian Custer, your host. And this is the podcast where we bring you some of the biggest names in sports, entertainment, unfiltered, straight talk. And let me tell you, if you are feeling down, your funny bone is going to be tickled today because we have got one of the funniest men on the planet as our guest on the Last Stand podcast, once known as the African King of Comedy, government name Jafari Ferguson. No, that's not true. What? 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 You know him as Michael Blackson. That's and you're right. trying to, my man. So you're saying yes. Jafari Ferguson is not your natural not real, name? man. Some internet troll made that up and put it on the internet. That's not, no, you're I don't know. Kidding. That's serious, man. I'm trying to get that off right now. I talked to my entertainment lawyer, like, what is this Jafari name that's on my, on my Woody Pitaka? So is they trying to remove it? I have no idea where that came from. Wow. Michael Never. Blackson here. Yes. Uh, so- yes. First of I all, I was born Michael Blackson. I don't know who the hell Jafari Ferguson is. It's not even a, it's like an African first name and a, and a, and a freaking uh, um, Irish last name. Who the hell? <laughs> Look at me. There's no Irish in me. First of all, is that your pandemic quarantine outfit? This is my pandemic quarantine outfit. I have about four of these robes. Uh, I depend on how I'm feeling. I got the red on because my lady's period is on. So I can't, I haven't had sex in like, Six days. <laughs> so I got the red on representing period. You know, uh, and then I got the yellow one when I'm in a good mood. I got the black one for nighttime and I got the pink one for daytime. So tell me what has Michael Blackson been up to during this quarantine? Because you were a guy who, listen, you make a living traveling, doing shows and do yes. What has this been like for you? Uh, you know, it was tough at first, man. When we, I was in the middle of three tours when we got shut down. I mean, I lost a whole lot of money. So it was tough at first. I remember coming home March 16th. Because I know my, I have twin boys that are that turned 13 on March 16th. So I, I flew out to Pittsburgh. I was, I was on tour. And then I flew out to Pittsburgh on the 14th, spent a couple of days with them, and then left the evening after celebrating their birthday with them. Came home and I was pretty much on lockdown. Wow. First couple of nights, it's like each hour lasted about eight hours. It was tough. I'm like, when is this day going to end? I didn't even realize each day had about 68 hours in it. (laughs) (laughs) I would go to sleep. I would lay down about 9 p.m. Cali time. And I would feel like I had about 10 hours of sleep. I wake up, it's still 11 p.m. <laughs> you know, so it was, so I had to figure out what am I gonna do each day at home to make my time fly. Wow! You know where I found it at? I found it on social media on my Instagram. Oh, your yeah. Listen, your your social media and your Instagram is off the chain because we, we matter of fact we got to get into that. First of all, tell me how did you come up with twerking? Tuesdays and working Wednesdays. Well, it's actually there's no working. Nobody works in my oh none of my most of my followers are unemployed, on welfare, they're strippers, they sell dope, okay, and a lot of them do hair in their mother's basement. Nobody has a real job that follows me. There's no working Wednesday. I have a I have a titty Tuesday, yes. working Thursdays. I'm working on stretch mark Wednesdays. So just for women that have stretch marks. I want to know what you went through. <laughs> First of all, as a married man, I live my life vicariously through your Instagram. I appreciate that. You owe me money. <laughs> How do you get these women to show you their breasts and to twerk live on IG? You know, that's, that's when I realized that people would do anything for a celebrity. I mean, if they really likes you, if they really fucks with you heavy, they would do almost anything. I mean, the whole Titty Tuesday was all about just, because being an African, I got breastfed till I was probably like 13 years old. My mother used to bring the titties to lunch. She brought the titties to my school and breastfed me during lunchtime. So I got breastfed for a long time. In fact, the police had to stop it at once and listen, this, this nigga is too old, I guess. 
Get the titty ice mob. You're going to jail. So I got breast fed so long that I know everything about titties. I know about areolas, the little nipples around the nipple, the little bumps around the nipple. I know everything. I'm a titiologist. <laughs> is that even a job? Is that a, a it is you just made it up, but it, sure, I, I guess am it a titiologist. So when I came up with and then prior to me be, um you know making it to the next level, I worked at a, a place called True Farm back in like mid-90s. It was a job I had before, the last job I had before I decided to go full-time comedian. So I worked in this place called True Farm. We pretty much shipped bras and panties to like Victoria's Secrets, Macy's, different things. So I got to study bras and titties. So what happened was, so when I came over Titty Tuesday, my, my whole objective was to pretty much a woman come on my, on my life with her bra on, and I'm supposed to just guess a bra size, guess a titty size. And some women just go wild and just pull the titties out and just like, guess it yourself. <laughs> you know, I went a very, I, for a whole month, I had women just pulling their titties out on my, on my <laughs> IG live. And then IG got tired of me and just shut my live down for a whole month. So I created a new titty page. You can never hold a titty sucker down. <laughs> you, you, let me tell you something. I literally, if I'm sitting next to my wife, I got to go into the next room when I see Michael Blackson is going live. I can't, I can't, I can't open your page next to her. Hell no, my page is illegal. Yes, exactly. Okay, so talk to me about when you came here, because born in Ghana? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm half Liberian, half Ghanaian. I kind of represent okay. them both. Because the okay. thing with Africa, you know, a lot of times it's not even about where you're born, it's about where your parents are born. So let's okay. say if you are born in one country, your parents are from a different country, when you reach a certain age, you get to pick which country you want to pick as yours. You know, so I kind of pretty much represent Ghana and Liberia. You I, know, I got you. Uh, I got you. Um, so when when did you come here? When, you, when I came did you to the come States, here? I came to the States, uh, I'll never forget, April 1985. I was probably about 11 years old. What city? Atlanta in, Atlanta in JFK, and we stayed in Newark, New Jersey, which is where I spent. Wow. I spent the first three years in North Jersey. Wow. Okay, we landed in Newark cold in April, you know, um, and I remember landing. For some reason, my mother was already prepared. Why is my, sorry about that, my phone is, my phone just went off. All right, my mother was already prepared for this weather. So when we landed, I guess her friends of hers that were living in, in the States brought some winter coats to the airport and we had to put them on when we got off the plane. And I remember going to Newark, New Jersey and you know, it was my first time in America. It was so cold, I just like, what place, why does this place feel like a refrigerator? I didn't understand <laughs> what the hell was going on, you know? But, I, and a lot of things I didn't realize that I came to America. I mean, the, you know, my first couple of years was a really bad experience. Kids made fun of me every day. Oh, Here I am, a little kid. Uh, I'm not even sure when I'm 11, 13. Anywhere between 11 and 13 is, how, is when I was. So I remember coming as a kid, and then, you know, kids just, I had an accent, I'm dark skinned, and I'm different. Right. So they, uh, American kids are so different. Why are y'all so mean? <laughs> they got some mean motherfuckers. <laughs> Did they make fun of what, what you, the way you dress, oh everything? Let me tell you, I didn't realize I was dark skinned until I came to America. <laughs> you know, I didn't realize, I mean, back in my village, where I'm from, I was probably one of the lightest ones in my village. Most of the kids <laughs> called me Red Bone, believe it or not. I'm serious. <laughs> the fuck you laughing at? I think because you because you get to never take you serious. <laughs> so, no, man, I, all jokes aside, we never saw complexion. You don't see white people don't be like, oh, you're you're much lighter than me. We didn't right. see that in Africa. We had different complexions, like darker. They're brown. There's some albinos. There's some yeah. light skin. We had everything, but we never once saw color. We never saw complexion, and and so I never knew that I came to America. So I came to America. I'm hanging out with some some other kids, they said, oh, you black? I said, yes, of course, we are all black. They said, no, nigga, you black as shit. <laughs> so so I, I once heard a comic because you said, you know, guys picked on you when you came here. He said he, he used comedy 
uh, as his as his self defense. Yes. Because he got picked on a lot, and that's how he you know became funny. What about you? Were you always funny, or did, was that something oh, no. that you used that you used it kind of as your self defense a mechanism? Yeah, I pretty much did because I was I was for some believe it or not I was very shy as a kid. Come on, Mike. Duh. And 11, 12, I was, my, let me tell you, the first three years of Newark for me was rough. I was very shy. Kids just clown me all the time. You know, not just on my complexion and my accent. And then back then, it was, it wasn't as many Africans in the United States. It was mostly Jamaicans. So as far as the black kids, they just thought every, every black person with an accent was Jamaican. <laughs> right here. You either, you're, <laughs> you're dark skin, you have an accent, you're Jamaican, and if you're, Above 15 years old, you're a drug dealer automatically. <laughs> oh my gosh. Right? Yeah. So I remember going to school, and you know, things didn't change. I moved to Philly. This my last couple of years in Newark. I remember going to school, and I mean, God, these kids call me all type of names, like under the bed. Some kid told me I look like under the bed. That's dark as hell. <laughs> under anything is dark. If you look under the table, under like a car, anything under anything is dark. I didn't realize that I was an, an objective. Is that an adjective? That's it. This, yes. I, I was, yes. Yeah, I was used to describe a place and thing, whatever the fuck. I've been asking you a fucking right? One kid told me I look like I have no bright ideas. <laughs> well, when, did, when did Michael Blackson first realize he was funny? When did you realize, okay. I, think, I think I got a talent here. It was when it was Philly. So three years later, my mother had some friends that, that lived in Philly and said, "Hey, Philly is a is has a uh, uh, is you it's easier to find jobs. Things are better in Philly." So moved to Philly, and when I got to my doctor, Philly it was three years later. You know, I was pretty much um, a little. I'm used to the American kids. I knew kind of. I, I already knew how they work, how they work. But then I knew that the best way to stay cool is to say less, don't say much, be cool. I knew by then, three years later, that I knew that I had to dress nice in school to fit in. So now I come to Philly, you know, I'm, I actually had a summer job working for Domino's Pizza, delivering pizzas on a bike. I used to deliver pizzas on a bike. Oh and I'm using my tip money, and I'm, I went and bought me a whole bunch of clothes. I come to Philly, I start school, I'm dressing fresh, I'm looking good. I don't say much, so now these kids think I'm a, I'm dark-skinned with an accent. I am a drug dealer. I said, you know what? If they have no idea I was dealing anchovies, pepperoni, sausage, and extra thick crust. <laughs> and, and so that's the point where you knew you that's had a talent. Point. So now I'm all, I'm kind of like, I'm, I'm considered cool now. They, 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 they're a little suspicious of me. They don't know who I am. I'm just dressing nice, and I'm dark-skinned, so they don't want to fuck with this potential drug dealer. <laughs> So when I realized it had a little bit of fear in them of who I am, that's when I started roasting them. Yeah. What are you wearing? What are you, you know what I mean? I started roasting them, yeah. and that's when the comedy started coming out. So it oh, extended wow. all the way towards my last year of high school. And then I remember graduating high school. I remember still working at Domino's Pizza. I remember at this time, I'm like a, a assistant manager. I've been there for like forever now, from my like age 15 to like, now I'm like 19. And one of my coworkers who worked part-time, and he was a, he was an acting teacher at the Philadelphia Community College. He's like, Mike, you funny, go to open mic. So I remember around like 20 years old, he's like, hey, let me help you write like, let me help you put five minutes together and go to open mic. And I started going to open mic in Philly at like 20 years old. Wow, and what would you say uh, was your big break then for you? What, what, was, what was the thing that, that, that finally put you on the national stage, so to speak. Oh, definitely. I got to give a shout out to Ice Cube. There's a movie next Friday. So I'm on the last, the, the last job I had before I quit and say, you know what? I'm about to be a full-time comedian. I work part-time for the airlines. It's U.S. Airways, which is not American Airlines. So I work there part-time, and I'll leave, I will leave there just to use them. I hope they, they're probably listening now. But yes, I use you guys. Yes. <laughs> I use them because as an employee of an airline, you got to fly for free. Your wife gets to fly for free. Your mother gets to fly for free. Your kids get to fly for free. I said, I'm going to use this job, and I'm going to get around this country and do my shows. And when the promoter want to buy my plane ticket, I'm going to ask them to give me the money, and I'm going to pocket the money, and I'm going to use U.S. Airways. I used them for about five years. So what I'll do on my days off, I was off Tuesday and Wednesday. So Monday when I got off work, 
I'll get on a 1.50 p.m. flight and I'll fly to L.A. Because L.A. had two spots that was big for urban comedians that were popular back then. Monday Night at the Improv was called, uh, what's the thing called? Huh? More, better. More Better Mondays. And then Tuesday night, they had uh, Fat Tuesdays at the Comedy Store. So More Better Monday was hosted by a comedian named D-Ray Davis. And then yep. Tuesday night was hosted by a comedian named um, Guy Tory, who is Joe Tory's brother. Uh-huh. So those were the Papa Nights. So every Tuesday night at the Comedy Store, you are likely to see from Eddie Murphy to everybody just stopping through and just checking out the new guys. Wow. So I just happened to be performing this one particular night. It was the same night that Ice Cube came to see Mike Epps for the first time. And that's how Mike Epps ended in the movie next Friday. I happened to perform the same night, went on stage, did my thing. And a day later, I got a text from, from the, lead that, the lead that booked the show, said, hey, some company want you to come and audition for a project called Next Friday. I had no idea it was a sequel to Friday. I just saw it on the, on the, uh, on the, um, the script, Next Friday. So I ended up auditioning for that and getting the part. And that was my big break. Wow, that is, that's real cool, man. That's real cool. And then, so you get the, the, the part of Next Friday and then, what was it, I think Master P, didn't Master P? Uh, well, Master P came afterwards. He, Ms. Master came P afterwards. pretty much gave me my first starring role. Next Friday was a, it was probably exactly one minute and 68 seconds. I mean, I know it was like around two minutes, nothing more than you two minutes. You're going seconds. into that record store, right? I remember that store. scene, yes. And you know, I just pretty much, when I went audition for that, it was the script, well, he wasn't African in the script, it was just a guy just returning a CD. And right. I just went in, this, in there and just brought my act out, brought my, gave them what, you know, changed the script a little bit and went up there and did it and they loved it. You know, wow. and that was like, that kind of like opened the door for me because at that time it was like, the movie came out in 2000, which is 20 years ago. Cell phone was not really that popular. You had to be rich to have a cell phone back then. So back then was pretty much signing autographs. You couldn't barely take a picture. So I remember just going out to the movie theater, going out on the streets and everybody knew who I was. Everybody, every black person in America knew who I was. And then all of a sudden I went from making like $500 a show to like $2,500 a show. And that's how things started to escalate up little by little. Wow. And, and so, you know, it, it seems like, listen, it, we, we all have our struggles and I'm talking as black people, especially in television, you know, in sports broadcasting, sometimes you feel like a network only feels like there can only be one. Uh, hey, hey, you can't have two people of color uh, at a network leading your, your sports broadcasting team. You know, you only have one, it seems like. What about in Hollywood? It, it, especially when it comes to black comedians who are at the highest level, there only seems to be like one at a given time. You know, it was Richard Pryor's time. Right. And then it went to Eddie Murphy's Eddie time. Murphy. Then it went to like, let's say Chris Rock's Chris time. Rock. Yeah, yeah. Then it went to Chappelle's time. Yeah. So, right. Do you get a sense to that, that Hollywood never, it, you, there's so many of you who are really talented. And then now I guess it's just Kevin Hart. He just seems like he's the guy in the big time. And I'm talking like yeah. the big time Hollywood movies. Yeah, I, I mean, we definitely, we, we've always felt that way, you know, for a very long time now. And the good thing about right now, you know, we have different platforms where you could pretty much self-promote yourself. You know, you could do it without Hollywood. If you have, a, if, you know, if you have fans, that's all right now, it's all about you having your own personal fans that will support you. You know, because uh, as far as Hollywood, Hollywood is, does the same thing where they just go for the same guy and, they, you know, they find one person and they hit this person sell and they just keep using that person until we, tie with them, until we get tired of them, you know. And that person is good enough and and keep being that person that they want them to be, they're gonna use them as long as they want to lose them. You know, Cat Williams had a very good opportunity of becoming, you know, he, I, we, we all felt like he was the one next before Kevin Hart, the Cat fucked up, and then boy, did I, we're gonna skip this crackhead and put on Cat. No disrespect, I'm just saying, I'm just going, that's what they're thinking. You know, but we think Cat is one, <laughs> we think Cat is one of the funniest guys in the world, but they're probably like, you know, this guy's a lot of trouble. Yes. You know, we're gonna skip him and we're gonna go to Kev. And Kev been pretty much safe and just, you know, and he's been delivering. So yeah. they got they've been sticking with it. But that doesn't mean that we stop working. That doesn't mean there's so much money to be made and there's so much different platform. I mean, from Netflix to Hulu and Amazon and 
everything else, you can do your own thing. You don't need anybody. Yeah, yeah. And, and speaking speaking of Kevin Hart, so you had you had supposedly this 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 beef with him was his last year. Was that real or was that? No, no, it was the, real. Was the tension real between you two? Um, yeah, it got real. I think it got real after he went on the Breakfast Club and like act like he had no idea who I was, where I came from. You know, that's when I felt like, oh, this guy really disrespected me. Did it upset you considering, I, uh, both of you are from Philly for the most part. So right. you guys had thing, to go back know, a long time. You, you could roast, you could make fun, but don't discredit who I am. Like, you know who I am. Don't go and make me seem like I'm just some dude that popped out of nowhere and now I'm talking, you know, uh, I'm making fun of you. Like, you, you know, this is how, this how well me and, me, and, me and Kev go back. 1999, right before, 1999 was when I auditioned for the movie Next Friday. You know what? I probably couldn't have made it to my audition without Kevin. Because I remember prior to the audition, I remember when I went to LA and when I was, I got a text about, not a text, a beep, because I had beep, but we had no damn text. Right. I beep, and I returned a call about the auditioning thing. Now, the audition wasn't for another week, so I actually had to come home and go to work. And I had to fly back there the following week to do my audition. That week I came home, the craziest thing happened. You know, the devil is always working, trying to fuck shit up. So here I am, I got an audition coming up in like freaking whatever, seven, eight days from now. I remember, like I said, a week or so prior to my audition, me, Kevin Hart, a comedian named Ture Gordon, another comedian named Buck. Buck is out of Philly. Buck is like... This guy, Buck, listen, don't ever get in this guy's car. Don't hang with this guy. If the police catch you with this guy, you are going to jail too. All right? We knew that about this guy. So I don't know what the fuck we did getting in the car with this guy. So here we all are all on our way to do a show in New York. We was going to New York to do a show. We all decided to park at this one club. We do comedy on Wednesday nights called Winners. We decided to park at Winners and hop in Buck's car and go to New York. We're on the highway to New York. I guess Buck apparently had a license plate that, be, that belonged to another car on his car. And that license plate has been reported stolen. So now we're on the, high, we're on the New Jersey Turnpike, headed to New York, right around the time we're in Newark. And why the fuck Buck got me driving his fucking car? <laughs> State trooper pulls us over because they read the license plate, it says stolen. So the thing the car is stolen. They put us out in gun. Even Kev talked about this on, on Facebook a few times. It's, all, it's on the internet. You can find you can look it up. They put us over. We all get locked up. Make a long story short, the day I had to come from audition was the day I had to go to court. So I remember me and Kev was the only one that rented a car that morning in Philly, drove to court in Newark, New Jersey, and we Kev drove me back to the airport for me to catch my 1.50 p.m. flight. Wow. This is 21 years ago. So we known each other for a while. We, you know, we were like homies. We all, yeah. and we still are homies. You know, we had yeah. a little thing, and it, you know, and that, that thing was just it was just me. I'm a dude that would go and make people say I don't even call it clout chasing. I don't call it clout chasing because I think real comic that make jokes make jokes about every current event, regardless what it is. It could be my mother could do something dumb and it's on the internet. I'm gonna touch it. <laughs> I touch everybody from my friends to my enemies, to athletes, people I don't know. I mean, I picked some battles. I'm not gonna, you know, don't get it wrong. I'm not, I'm not gonna fuck with everybody. Right. You know, I'm not picking, I'm gonna fuck with somebody that I know is crazy, you know. But <laughs> right. So you felt like, because you, you felt like Kevin's I could beat up Kevin. I, yeah. <laughs> I, can, I can beat Kevin up, I'm gonna talk about him, him in the sex tape. I don't do that shit to fucking Mike Tyson or fucking uh, some killer ass rapper. I'm like, oh yeah, Kev, you should have never did that. And I didn't make fun of what he, I didn't make fun of what he did. I made fun of how he went about it. Okay. You know, I felt like because I guess before the whole incident thing came out with him, his, his uh, uh, the affair that was that was about to come out, he made a video, kind of like snitching on himself, like, hey, this video is about to come out, and I'm like, don't snitch on yourself, please. <laughs> you cannot first 48 yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how it happened. But I went on, 
I'm the type, I would go on like three, four, I didn't just do it one time or two times. It just kept getting funnier and funnier. I probably did about four posts. And then he got fed up and he went to breakfast club and he just like, I don't know where you, I'm not sure where you're from. I'm, you know, I mean, Philly and then this and that. And try to like belittle me. When yeah. at one point he used to open up for me. At one point I paid him and put him on shows. And he knows that, mm. you know, because that's what happened. But I guess he was upset about what I did. And but then we talked and we met and we squashed the beef, you know. That's good. How long ago? How long ago did oh, that's when, when you? It's, okay, yeah. good. It's been, we squashed it definitely. Yeah. I remember we squashed it at, the, at a Sixers game, actually. Um, nah, 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 nah. Is it last, not the last playoff season, is it? Least. When Joel L&B yeah, was yeah. crying? No, let me see. All right, what's that game? They lost that one game again. This season, is the first game they played was Miami. Was it last season? It might, well, the Sixers, because they got to the Eastern Conference Finals yeah. and lost, obviously, to the Toronto Raptors. No, that was not Eastern Conference Finals. That was just not. Because it was Toronto beat Milwaukee in the Eastern Conference Oh, right, right. Exactly, exactly, exactly. No, no, no. It was probably, it was the season before that. It was the playoff okay. the season before that. But it's all, you, got, you guys are all cool now. We good. Real we good. good now. Yeah, yeah, we good. Okay, I mean, that, if that. you do something stupid, I will roast them, but we good. <laughs> are, there, uh, are there any things, anything off limits? Especially now, in, you know, now we're in this, this Me Too movement. You know, a lot yeah. of people would say you got to be a, politically. And you go hard, but it, are there things that are off limits even for Michael Blackson? You know, as a comedian, we are not supposed to. But, you know, at the same time, I got it. Yeah, it's things might be. I would, it just, I won't. All right, one of my buddies made some comments and then he started to lose money. I don't want to lose money. You know, I got to protect my money. But, you know, I would talk about a certain subject that they don't want us to talk about. I just won't. I would, like, I make fun of everybody. I make fun of my own family, myself, kids, whites, blacks, gays, everything. But my fun are fun things to laugh at. I would not degrade or insult. You know, like on stage, I have a lot of gay jokes. But it's not a gay joke that insults gay. It's a gay joke that a gay person would laugh at himself. Mm. You know, so when it comes to stand-up, I want stand-up to be fun. People come to laugh and have a good time, not to feel disrespected, you know, because I do all this disrespect to myself. I go on stage and half of my material is making fun of me. So if yes. I don't give a fuck about me, you know I don't give a fuck about you. <laughs> but I try to leave at the end of the day, make sure that it's fun. It's yeah. nothing that is going to pop up somewhere where Mike made fun of a handicapped person or whatever, you know, or a gay person or a transgender. You know, it will be a fun joke that even a transgender will laugh at it as well. How do you think uh, the, the president uh, is, has handled the coronavirus? Uh, man, this guy is the best thing that ever happened to comedy. <laughs> he's the best comedian right now. You know, he's, he, just, he just beat Richard Pryor yesterday when, when he had that last press conference. Who's writing this guy's script? I think Trump wakes up, every president in the past, before they have a press conference, they will study what they're going to talk about. This guy, this nigga, just, he just wings it. <laughs> Me personally, I'm a, I love him. Because he makes life easier for, for us. <laughs> when do you see... You guys, you know, we talk a lot about sports and, and getting back to watching sports. When do you see yourself performing again? Because you, you guys perform in a lot of intimate venues. When yeah, do you I see am, yeah, that I'm, coming I'm, back? I am unemployed right now. Do you guys hiring? <laughs> you want to be, you be, you be a member of the uh, Last Stand podcast? I'm a member, man. I just, <laughs> I'm ready to start an OnlyFans page. That's a page where you, um, I pretty much become like an Instagram whore for the ladies. And they pay like $10, $15 a month to watch me play with my balls. I mean, I'm very close to that. That's why I'm hoping somebody saved me. You know, because we are not technically any big venue, like big venue mean like a, anything with 500 seat venue. Personally, I don't think nothing's gonna happen to at least next summer fall. Mm. That's over a year from now. Mm -hmm. The smaller venues, maybe early in the year, um, early next year. Even with that, you know, hopefully 
It will be because right now I think if if they was to probably open up in the last phase of this pandemic, letting us go out. What in phase one right now? Certain states, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think right now, I think in California, I think they're allowed to go to the library and go to the clothing store. What the fuck? Who the fuck buy clothes to do? We're not going out. Who the fuck want to go to the library? Who goes to the library? What kind of white shit is that? <laughs> library? <laughs> this is my clothing for the next year. This is me for the next year. This is how I'm dressing for the next year. Who the fuck gonna buy clothes when we can't go to the club? <laughs> Here's why I feel for you, because you are always talking about money, and I'm always seeing you, whether it's 50 Cent or somebody saying, Michael, you better have my money. What are you gonna do? <laughs> Nigga, I'm, I'm winning on my $1,200, man. Trump, with your name on it, Trump. I'm still winning on my stimulus check. Child support probably picked that shit up. Who knows? <laughs> And how does Michael Blackson, how do you even have relationships? I mean, your woman has to be very secure. How do you have relationships with all of the attention you get and all of the things you do on social media? Um, all right, so, I mean, I realized about two years ago, this is what I wanted to be, a man whore. <laughs> so my last relationship, which is beautiful, oh my God. Gorgeous woman who did it for four years. It was so tough for me. I mean, one minute my dick is online. It's like it was so much shit going on. Yes, right? I saw that. She put that online. Yeah, on the internet. Well, I yeah. saw that. It ruined the relationship you had. Yes. I woke up with her. We just got engaged. We woke up on the internet and and I, I woke up first and I went on the internet. I said my somebody, some woman has sent my dick to the to the blog and now my dick is online. So I'm I'm like, shit, that do look like my dick and that's look like my face. So she, I, I tried to make sure, I said, listen, she, she was about to wake up. I said, if you wake up, listen, don't go on the internet. It's fucked up today. It's, it's not working. So make a long story short, you know, we broke up about two years ago. It was probably the best thing that ever happened to me because when that happened, I became free to do whatever I wanted to do. And, you know, I said to myself, I don't want a girlfriend anymore. I want to live single and be free and be wild. I said, if I find a girl, this girl has to be okay with me being this wild. Give me threesomes occasionally. Occasionally allow me to have my own fun. Like I want to be, you know, some guys are single and some guys in a relationship. I want to be single in a relationship. I want to be both. <laughs> you, are, you are unbelievable. I swear you are. So, <laughs> and the thing about it, a lot of men with power, believe it or not, we could have this. You just have to establish this from the beginning. It's too late for you. You fucked. You have to establish it from the beginning. You know, like, hey, I'm a man of power. I have a problem, okay? I like a lot of women. You could be my girl, but occasionally I would need to have an affair. I mean, you know, I'm not gonna, I don't wanna lie. I got the problem, I don't wanna lie anymore. I got tired of lying. I used to lie so much that even when I was telling the truth, I was lying. <laughs> <laughs> because so many people love you give me give me a hollywood or somebody who you dated who we would be like wow and she loved you because she thought you were so damn funny god damn sucks they won't give me a chance <laughs> i had a long imaginary relationship with rihanna that ended uh, let me see. You know, one time I went out with Ashanti, me and Ashanti hung out, and all of a sudden it was on the internet and I was dating Ashanti. So I never actually, then I had, I, I, I never actually did it. Anybody that you guys would probably know. Are you feeling run down? Do you need a natural way to boost your immune system? The all natural B1 patch from USA Natural may be just what you're looking for. Professional athletes use it, and you can too. Just peel and stick, and within 30 minutes, feel the natural boost of energy, stamina, and endurance. Visit buyb1.com and enter the code BC3 for a discount on every order. Wear what the pros wear, the all-natural B1 patch. In these days and times, though, can you still go hard as a comedian, despite, you know, the days and times that we're living in today? Yeah, you could. You just have to be smart about it. I mean, I, 
I mean, with my social media is pretty hardcore. You know, I keep it real. I just don't know how to be fake. I mean, I won't do nothing that would. Sorry about that. My phone was somebody was calling me. Okay, in times like this. You could, you just gotta be smart about it. Sometimes, you know, you have to be, I've been around so long. I'm not 20 and 30 anymore. I'm in my 40s now. So, you know, you get older, you get wiser. You learn how to, like, you learn how to make fun of certain things without insulting them. You know, make them laugh at what you just said. What I meant, I would, I'm the type of make, I would, who's, who's like, a, like, I'm the type that would make a joke about a boxer, an angry person, and make him laugh. You know, I would make him laugh way he's not going to fuck me up. You know, you, it's, I think they're almost limit, especially now. You, you got to just, you can't, it, it, it's a smart way of doing things. But you can still make that joke and not make them want to whoop your ass or kill you. And I'm at that. I'm at that point where I'm wise enough to know how far to go. Here's something, and I, and I, and I know, listen, I, I love for people when they listen to the podcast, they really get something from it. And trust me, they're going to get a lot from you uh, once they listen to this. But you know, you're a guy who comes from another country. You come here to the States and you guys have basically nothing. And yet you build yourself up to become a millionaire. So what advice then would you give to someone who's trying to make it? What would you say are Michael Blackson's keys to success? Uh, man, you cannot give up. You keep going. Don't take no from the answer. Put God first. And the thing about it, if it's meant to be, it's gonna happen. I mean, I remember a few, early in my career, I remember doing like Def Comedy Jam, right? My Def Jam never airs, never aired. And it, when I did it, if my Def Jam would've aired, I probably would've blew up during the era of like, the time Joe, those guys like Joe Torrey, Chris Tucker, well, those guys were all hot. If my Def Jam would've aired, I would've been that hot. But then what, probably my career probably been over by now. So you got to wait on God's time. You know, when, if it's meant to be, it's going to happen. You know, so I think patience, keep working hard. Don't mean sit back and wait for something to happen. You keep working hard at your craft. Put God's first. And if it's meant to happen, it was going to happen. And be original. Don't ever duplicate nobody. Don't try to be like nobody. You know, I don't watch... You know, you, okay, you watch other people. Other, I, I watch Eddie because I like Eddie. Not because I want to tell my jokes like Eddie, you know? Like I'll say, whenever I'm bored, I will go in my room, I'll go on Netflix and I'll watch Delirious. It was the only thing that Eddie, and I would laugh all the time because this, I mean, it, I like how he, he his death thing was 19, what, 83, 84, and it's still relevant till today. Yeah. You know? So be original. Be, can nobody duplicate what you went through personally? You know, what, do you, what do you think about guys like Eddie, like Kevin Hart, who all of a sudden they've had to come back, it seems like recently, and say, you know, hey, look, I apologize for some of the jokes I said earlier. Uh, I'm a different guy. I've evolved. Uh, what, what, do you, what do you say about guys, you know, like, like those comedic greats who um, like now these times they feel like they have to apologize for some of the material they said earlier? I know, guy. I'm, Eddie is such my man. Like, I love this guy so much and adore him. That I just, I don't care. Eddie can, couldn't even go wrong in my eyes. You know, he's like one of the guys that just can't not go wrong in my eyes. And, and, and I understand because, you know, he's, he said he did his jokes when he didn't have kids. I'm like, Eddie, this jokes was funny as hell. That's what we talked about back then. Like, you know, he know he didn't have to, but he just doing it because now he has, he, he probably, he has a huge audience of gays and everybody else. You know, he, it's just at the end of the day, you know, you got to do what's right for business. You know, but he didn't have to because Eddie can't go wrong in my eyes for nothing. I love that guy to death. Um, you know, the, the thing with, with Kev and the whole thing with apology, even that, I mean, I think I felt like they were so wrong for that. You can't go judging somebody on something that happened 10 years ago. You know, it's a different era now. And that's, you know, that's why from here on, you got to, we kind of like, we have to watch what we say. If you want to be mainstream or don't want to lose your job, you know, I had a guy that made, uh, some gay joke and was on a show together and they just took him off the whole season because of wow. that. He lost money because of a gay comment. But like I said, you just got to find smart. But he was more of a guy that would, you know, say a joke, but he don't know how to do it without insulting people. Like me, I, could, I, I made plenty of gay jokes. My gay jokes been fun gay jokes. 
you know? So if you make it fun, if the gay person's laughing at it, why would he go report you? He laughed. Yes, right. I think people would probably be surprised that to know that you are a huge sports fan and know almost, it seems like everybody from football to basketball, baseball. In fact, you've got a, a talented family. You've got look, a nephew in the National Football yeah. League. You know, you always been a sports fan and always been interested in sports? Yes. Uh, I mean, in Africa, I mean, when I was a kid playing soccer with grapefruits, I mean, we couldn't afford a ball. We had, we'll play with a grapefruit till the, till the bus open. Then we get a new grapefruit. Stop, Mike. I'm dead serious. All my kids. <laughs> I remember being at home. I remember being in Liberia as a kid, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven years old, playing with grapefruit. And we play with a grapefruit to bust it, and then we play with another one to bust it. And then after two grapefruits, it's halftime. <laughs> 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 but yeah, so I always been, I've been, I was a soccer fan for a very long time. Um, you know, Africa, we didn't care much about basketball as a kid then. When I came, when I got to America, um, you know, soccer is a little bit, a little bit more relevant now, a little bit. It still don't care. I don't think people really care that much. Like they care about everything else. But when I came to America, it was like basketball. You know, basketball was the thing. And football, not football, I didn't really get into football early, you know, as I did basketball. Basketball a little bit more easier to understand as a, you know, 12, 13 year old kid coming from another country because I was a little familiar with basketball. You know, and I remember being in, in, uh, in Jersey. Uh, I remember going to my first game. I was, uh, it was, it was like a, I think I was in school and the school took us to see, See um, the Nets play the Knicks. That's when it was like Patrick Ewing was playing for like a couple of years at that time. I remember seeing Patrick Ewing playing for the, um, you know, uh, and I remember going to that game. And then for some reason, my favorite color, my favorite color always been green. For some reason, I didn't, because I knew America had a lot of teams, I really didn't care about the different teams. I was going for my more of my color. So for some reason, earlier, in my, you know, my first, my first three years in the States, I liked the Celtics before because they wore green, mm. right? The and Celtics then when I of all teams, to, huh? Of all teams. Now I hate them because I'm a Sixers <laughs> fan. So when I moved to Philly, I remember probably like my last year in high school, sitting home because I would never, you could never get me to watch a football game. I didn't know what it was. So I'm on Thanksgiving where we all stuck at home with nowhere to go. I remember watching the Eagles playing on a, on a Thanksgiving night, you know, and then I said, okay, and then I started watching football. You know, I, I was like Jerome Brown and freaking um, Andre Waters, Randall Cunningham, right? That's, that's, you know, that's when I got into it. So then I became like, you know, then at one point I kind of liked the Jets too because they wore green. You know, I kind of like in the Jets, but then of course, Philly became home. As more as I absorbed Philadelphia, I started falling in love with the team. I started studying, studying football and got to like, you know, know who the players are. And, and then I started playing, you know, Madden like years later and one thing led to another. And I became a sports fan. And as, as I became more popular, athletes became fans of mine. They started yeah. liking me. You know, like they, they'll invite me out to, they'll give me tickets to games and they'll, whenever in my city, just give me a call. And I just became friends with almost every athlete. I mean, from LeBron James to freaking to Shaquille O'Neal, me and Allen Iverson are like homies. Uh, oh my goodness. Me and Ben, ben Simmons, uh, uh, Rudy Gobert. In fact, I did a live with Rudy. I was the first one Rudy talked to after he caught Corona. Yeah, I was gonna say, you need to stay away from Rudy Gobert. He had that <laughs> coronavirus. You gotta stay away from him, man. You talk about beef. Donovan Mitchell wanted to put some hands on him. <laughs> he says it's gone. He says it's gone. You know, not, neither one having anymore. So right. thank God to that. But yeah, so I'm, you know, I became I'm a sports fan, and they are, you know, athletes are fans of comedy, and I, I became one of their favorite ones. I remember the first time I ran to Ben Simmons on South Street in Philadelphia. He just got drafted. You know, and I remember walking down South Street, I walked into a sneaker store and he was there. He knew who I was and, you know, we took a picture. He said, you're a comedian, tell me a joke. And back then, the Sixers sucked, right? Yes. He said, tell me a joke. I said, the Sixers. And he never <laughs> let that shit go to today, man. Every time he sees me, he talks about it all the time. <laughs> you know, that's, so. That's good. 
<laughs> That's and, really and, good. And, and I'm, I love, in fact, baseball to me is one of the most relaxing sports to me. And I loved it. And I remember, I mean, I cried when Joe Carter hit that home run against Philadelphia back in freaking 1992 World Series. Oh, 93. yeah. How about that? You're doing the Toronto, huh? Against Toronto. I was there. Me and my sister cried. She was, you know, before she had Eli and all of that. Yeah, I was going to say, and you, wait a minute. Talk about your sister because your sister has, has, a, has a, you have a nephew and it's Eli Apple, right? Eli's Going back in the National Football League. Yeah, my younger sister's son is Eli. I was actually at the draft in 2016. Um, I have my twin, I have twin boys that are 13 now. Uh, they were what? I don't know, nine years old? Five, five years ago? Six, four years ago. Okay. I went to a public school, excuse me. All right, they were eight then. My mother were eight, and I'm on, I took them to the draft, went to the draft. You know, uh, of course, my sister and her husband at that time and her, their, their daughter, they're all in the backstage, you know, with Eli, and I'm in the audience with my twin boys and my girlfriend at that time. And I'm like, damn it, man. I was like, Look at that. These guys all about to become millionaires. I was uh, I told my twin boys, I said, listen, man, you guys about to forfeit elementary school and make yourself eligible for this damn draft next year. <laughs> you know, but I was there when the Eagles, when they drafted, I was so shocked. Mind you, I'm a diehard Eagles fan. So here I am there, and I had no idea. I was, I kind of had a little bit of idea who was going to draft him. You know, I figured out what, what happened with him? With him, it's all about everything is time. It's like everything to me is God's time. Like he decided to get out at a certain time. When he got out of, when he got out after playing two, four years, I think he red shirt one year and played his second year he played. The first year he really, really played, they won the championship. The first playoff championship, you know, I went to all the playoffs and went to the game wow. itself. And then the following year, uh, it was, what's the ball that happens in Arizona? Which ball is that? Oh, yeah, yes, yes, yes. The, Fiesta, the right? Yes, yes, the Fiesta Bowl. He went to the Fiesta Bowl the following year, and they, they beat, I think, maybe Notre Dame, maybe it was, they were playing. I'm not sure. I think it was Notre Dame. And I remember him, like, had the best game of his life. Became the defensive MVP of the game. And it was like, you know what? It was just right for him to just leave. Leave at that time. Because I, I was shocked he was leaving. I'm like, why this? He's not even 20 yet. Like, where is he going? You know, I was like, I was at first, I was like questioning my sister, like, why, why you let him get out? But it was perfect. You know, it was perfect. And then um, I'm not being at a draft. I expect him to go around between either Pittsburgh or Oakland, you know, because I, I figured he'll fought him out like 22, you know, maybe late teens, early 22, 23 draft. And out of nowhere, even they were shocked. And then I got a, um, somebody called somebody that was sitting next to me, like, the Giants are about to draft him. At number 10, I'm like, what? Big shocker. And I'm yeah. like, okay, let me figure out why. Okay. Um, I remember prior to the draft at the combine, more than happened at the combine where I think it, the Falcons, um, whoever the draft for the Falcons asked him a question about, you know, about gays and this and that. Remember that? Yes, yeah. Right. Yeah. So, and, 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 <laughs> And he's so young and so naive. I remember he, he did an interview with a sports network in New Jersey, because that's where he's from. That's where he's born in South Jersey. And the sports network asked him, what's the weirdest thing that happened to you at the, at the combine? He said, yeah, the, the coach at Atlanta asked me about something about gay. And I'm like, oh my God, why you have to bring that up? So now that blew up on the, all over the internet, right? So do, like the whole week leading to the draft, whenever his name, every time they mention that whole thing, they would show highlights of him. Every time they mentioned his name, they show highlights. All they did was made him a freaking star. They, all they did was help him push him to number 10. Because now the Giants come, I, 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 know what, I know what the Giants, I didn't even know they, they need a cornerback. But the kid last name is Apple, right? That was my sister's uh, husband's name. The yep. name is Apple, you know, and New York is a big apple. Yep. I'm like, hey, all that makes sense. You know, things didn't work out with New York. He ended up with the New Orleans. And now I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what's going on. I'm not sure. I know he got signed by the Raiders, and then it didn't work out. So I'm not sure where he's at right now. You know, I don't like to ask him too much. I like to, you know, I, I let him volunteer and give me information on his own. But it was just a blessing, you know. No, that's, and that's great. 
Yeah, that's great. Um, there's a couple of things I've always wanted to know because you, you've always made them more. First of all, the wardrobe. Is that something that you just strategically do or have you always been flashy like this? Or is it, you know, it's your part of your persona that you've developed and you just know that whenever you've got something on like you've got on right now, people are going to look at you and say, what is wrong with this mother sucker? Oh, man. You know what? I think, well, first as a comedian, you know, um, I'm, I'm a headlining comedian. And I feel like any headliner should always look like a headliner. I mean, you go back to Michael Jackson. Look how Michael Jackson look on stage. Look how Prince look on stage. You know, if you're not going to remember nothing to do, you're going to look at the murder fucking outfit he had on. You know, but mind you, I'm going to go back to, I mean, when I, when I got out of high school, when I graduated, I won best dressed. So for some reason, for a long time, I always been the type, and I was never the type that go hire a, 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 a stylist. I always been, I always believed in myself, and I always did my own thing. You know, from freaking since I got out of high school, till even when I was on stage prior to wearing these flashy outfits, I wore my African garb. So whatever I felt like, everything I wore had to stand out. You have to stand out. You have to just. I believe in shining, and even down to my crib, it's like everything shines. You know, my whole. My bedroom is like off Versace blanket. My bathroom floor is Versace. I like Versace because they're like very loud. We have a lot in common. We are loud. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and I hear sometimes I see a headline on stage with a t-shirt on. I'm like, when, it, when a person paid $50 to come and see you perform, when they look at me, they're going to be like, that's what the fuck my fifty dollars on. That that nigga's outfit. That motherfucker's <laughs> wearing, mother wearing my fifty dollars. And that's how you gotta make them feel. That's what I do. Whenever I hit that stage, I guarantee you, between my jewelry and my clothes, every time I'm on stage, I'm at least fifty, sixty thousand dollars in wardrobe. Uh, uh, the the one thing I can say about you is, all you have to say is Michael Blackson, and someone's gonna say mother sucker and nigga. I mean, yes. at what point did you know, okay, those are my hooks? How did you come up with those? Mother Sucker happened backstage, 1998 Comic View. I was given like, a, it's back then, BET would give like two comedians to split an hour. Um, and then it was my turn to go up and I, all I knew then was motherfucker, motherfucker, motherfucker. I'm like, well, I can't sit on a BET. I'm backstage like, what the fuck am I gonna replace it with? Cause it's like, every time I do a joke, I end it with mother, motherfucker. So I'm like, what am I gonna do now? I'm like, Marasaka, Marasaka, <laughs> I came up with that shit backstage, 98 Comic View, BET. And since then, it's been my word. Wow. 22 years ago, I came up with it. Wow. That line? Yeah. And then, um, now nah, the, the whole bitch nigga thing came from like the movie Next Friday. Like, like I said, when I, was, when I did that script, I'm much towards the end of my scene when Ice Cube pushed me on the floor. I'm like, oh, please don't hit me. I'm just a bitch ass nigga. All that, it was just, that just came out of like nowhere. You know, my goal was to like, okay, I'm gonna act tough and now I'm gonna turn to a bitch. So I just kind of, and since then, bitch nigga been my second thing. Wow. Um, what, what's next for Michael Blackson? Uh, what, what, what are we, when are we gonna see you on the big screen and what, what's the, the big projects you got coming up? Oh man, and I'm so glad I was able to get this project out of the way before Corona decided to come and fucking visit us. <laughs> so now, this summer I'm supposed to be in a movie, uh, Meet the Blacks 2. We did Meet the Blacks 1, which came out in theaters about three years ago and then went on Netflix. We shot Meet the Blacks 2 with me, Cat Williams, Mike Epps, Lil Duval, you know, so many comedians and actors in this. And it's supposed to come out this summer, but most likely there's definitely not this be no movie theater this summer. So I, I'm sure that's not gonna happen this summer. Hopefully it'll be the throne on Netflix. But my biggest thing I'm waiting on right now is that coming to America too. And I got a chance to work with a man I adore my whole life. Eddie motherfucking Murphy. That is hot. That is hot. Uh, every, uh, every time we do this podcast, Michael, we always ask for uh, some questions from people who listen and who watch it, and we got so many. So I only I had to pare them down to three because you had so many here. Uh, I'm gonna start with uh, Michael from Facebook. He says, did you ever get jiggy with that next Friday CD? Uh, no, in fact, when I saw Mike Epps not too long ago, I'm like, listen, I know it's been fucking 22 years back. Can I have my money back, please? <laughs> and where's your manager, that pink motherfucker? 
In fact, you look like that play head out with some of this shit. Give my money back. I'm not daring receive. Kiss my ass so what? Um, Ralph on Facebook says, uh, what was the first live fight that you attended? Because you're a big boxing fan as well. And when did you realize you were addicted to live fights? Oh my God, there's not uh, live, there's nothing like competition one-on-one, -on -one, you versus somebody. That's like, it's like almost like stand-up where it just you know, it's not like baseball, football, where you have a team. Baseball is like you one-on-one, -on -one, okay? But like comedy is like you're just you and the audience, just you fighting this audience. Uh, my first fight, damn it, who did I see? Maybe I want to go back to Philly. I'm a, oh my God, I didn't, I couldn't, I didn't, during the Tyson era, I didn't see nothing big. Um, I didn't see Floyd till later. I'm good friends with B.Y. Janis, who's a, a fighter in Philly. Yeah. Um, I remember probably going to see him when he was like an undercard. I'm not sure who fought then. There was a, it was a fight in Philly probably about at least 10 years ago. That's what I'm trying to think. Did I go to a fight prior to that? If I probably did, but it probably been more like local Philadelphia fight. Bernard, you know, Bernard Hopkins. I think it was Bernard Hopkins' fight. Okay. In Atlantic City. Or Philly, was at the Spectrum. At the Spectrum in Philly, Bernard Hopkins was my first fight. How about that? Um, Kenneth from Facebook asks, uh, do, you ever, do you ever go back to Ghana or visit where you're from, and do you stay with the folks there? Oh, definitely. Stay in touch yeah. with the folks there. Oh, of course. I go home every year, at least for the past few years. I used to go What's it like when you come back, man? Huh? Do they treat you like a king when you come back? What's it like? You know what? It depends on where I'm at. You know, like... You know, Africa is like, we have like beautiful cities. Then we have village. The village is like way out in the interior, like a couple of hours out the city. Where are those people there? They don't really give a damn about television or what's going on. They just care about working and feeding their family. You know, now my mother has a place in the city and she has a place in the village. She prefers spending most of her time in the village. So when I go to the village sometime, yeah, like people that know my family, knows that her son is a successful comedian but like the locals probably don't know what i do they just know i look i look loud as fuck so i'm <laughs> from somewhere i definitely stand out and the thing about it if i even though i look like them when i go there i stand the fuck out <laughs> so yes i go i go almost every year and i'm looking forward to going back home as soon as now that i got a freaking vacation and i can go spend some time at home because <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it's like you said at the at the top of this thing, you walk you walk into the village. They say, "Who is this red bone bitch nigga?" <laughs> he don't sell out. Look at him, red bone. He got light skin on us. <laughs> okay, time for the last segment of this show, Mike. We call it the last stand. I'm going to ask you a series of questions. You tell me the first thing that comes to your mind. You ready? Let's go. Here we go. We'll come into America too be better than the original? Yes. Ooh, okay. Who's funnier, Chappelle or Chris Rock? Gosh. Ah. You know what, I gotta, um, that's so tough, man. Those are my two guys. And they both, you know what? I'm more, I'm more of a punchline boom, boom, bam type of comic. So I'm gonna go with Chris Rock. Chris Did Chappelle Rock. tell stories? I need my jokes to come fast and faster. Got it. And besides yourself, who would you say the funniest guy on the scene is right now? You know, when you talk about the scene, you could be talking about like, if you go on social media, who's gonna make you laugh or just a comic period? Comic, comic right now. Who's the funniest comedian right now in the game? Oh, I'm Dave Chappelle. Mm. Mm. Uh, who's your top five greatest comedians? Okay, Eddie Murphy, Richard Pryor, Dave Chappelle, Chris Rock, Michael Blackson. That's my top five. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Most overrated comedian. Oh my gosh. Shucks. So many of them motherfuckers, man. I think all of them are overrated. I'm the best one in the game. <laughs> uh, last but not least, 
uh, are African men the sexiest? Definitely, definitely, 100%, 100%. I'm definitely the, probably the sexiest in the whole world. Yes, we are. <laughs> and we'll end it with this. If I was at your show, how would you roast me? Oh my God, you got a big ass head, my brother. <laughs> you must be ahead of the game. You got a lot on your mind? You about to head this way, ain't you? You got a head start at every, at every fight, don't you? <laughs> With the fuck, look at his bald head, hair like a busted condom. You know when the condom busts and the dick pop out? That's what your head looks like right now, my nigga. Oh my God. The one and only Michael Blackson. Hey, people don't know that I love this about you. We we sat next to each other on a flight going to, of all people, all places, I should say, Kansas. Oh, my God. I was going yes. to do a college football game at Iowa State. You had a, a gig, I think, in Kansas City. Yes. And we just, let me tell you something. I think my stomach hurt the entire flight because – that was one of the most enjoyable flights I've had, one of the best days I've ever had. I appreciated it. And I appreciate you taking the time and being uh, being on the on the podcast, man. I, I truly thank you for this, Mike. Ah, uh, no problem, man. Uh, that's the great Michael Blackson. That's what we do here on the Last Stand Podcast. We bring you the biggest and the best in sports and entertainment. That's going to do it for this edition of the Last Stand Podcast. I'll see you next week. And keep, remember, we are streaming on all podcast streaming services. See you next week.